today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Happy Mother's Day. Moms. Yeah, can we give moms a hand? Will you stand if you're a mom? Come on, stand up. Stand up. What, slow clap. Slow clap. I know you hate this. I know you hate this. All right. Yeah. Welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming. I know maybe you felt like staying at home because you didn't want to get kids out of bed or whatever it is that you didn't want to do, but thanks, thanks for being here. Um, it, this is a great passage or a great section of this passage to be on because it is the mother of all doctrines uh, to talk about. And so uh, it, will, it will be uh, heavy duty here. Um, I've told you over the last couple of weeks that uh, the book of, I'm sorry, the first uh, few verses of, of Ephesians, sorry, I'm distracted here, my bad. Uh, the first few verses there, verse 13 through 14, what Heather just read, are all one sentence. The Apostle Paul doesn't put any punctuation in there. It's sloppy Greek uh, is what they say. And uh, it's, it's a, a, a passage that is incredibly worshipful. Uh, as he begins and he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's like he's coming out of his skin and he is saying, man, God is so amazing. God is absolutely amazing. In fact, let me read it to you again as he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We taught on that this last week, just that verse. We did verse three. And today I want to cover uh, part of verses four through six uh, because of this. Uh, the apostle has broken down the, this first sentence that he has here into three sections, I think. Not everybody thinks that, but I think he, he has because at the end of each section he says, to the praise of his glory or to the praise of his glorious grace. And it's basically kind of puts a period on that section. So verses four through six are about the father. Uh, verses seven through 12 are about the son. And verses 13 and 14 are about the Holy Spirit. And so each one, yeah, after each section he says, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious uh, grace, something like that. So this week we're gonna be talking about the Father and the blessing initially that comes from the Father and this first blessing that comes. And it's called predestination. It's called God's sovereign choice of those who will be saved. It is, it's essentially how those who are saved can, uh, how those who are saved have received a blessing and it's initiated through God. It's initiated by him completely. It's initiated uh, solely by him, and he is the one who has caused this in us. He is the one that's made it happen, and it's incredibly controversial. In fact, I am so sure that it's controversial that I think people may even want to leave this church because we believe this. Today, and so I just want to tell you, I hope you don't. I hope you stick around. I hope that you'll, you'll continue to listen in. You don't have to think exactly the way that we do. We want you uh, to hear the word of God and to be challenged by it, to, to have your thinking challenged in how you think God operates because our culture does not work that way. Our culture is going the way further and further toward human understanding, towards creating an identity on your own. 
towards uh, creating a person, creating a gender, creating a sexuality, creating a whatever it is, creating like politics, uh, you know, my job, my family, whatever it is. Like our society, our culture is pushing you further and further down this road of saying you choose for you you, you create your own identity. In fact, I saw this document. I, I'm not sure about this, but I'm, I, I've seen things like this from the school district. I saw it on Twitter. Somebody sent it to me and, <clears throat> and said, uh, this is kind of crazy because it came from my hometown here uh, from Sprague High School. And it was this kind of, you know, multiple choice thing about identity and gender and sexuality and all that stuff. And it's basically a list of indoctrination for our children. So you can be uh, clear about that. And each one of these statements are identity statements. Someone who identifies as this is called what? Someone who, who lives this way or lives that way. That's, this is, they're all identity statements. It is all about identity. Now, <clears throat> That is completely up to mankind. Our world is saying, you decide for you what your identity is. What this is saying is that your identity, if you are a, a, a Christian, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're somebody who has come to him, your identity has been established far above anything that you could possibly choose or decide for yourself. It has been determined. It has been predetermined. So your value does not come in your sexuality. Your value does not come through your gender. Your value does not come through anything that our world can bring to you. Your value comes from God himself. He is the one who determines it. Our job is to go further into God's understanding, not to go further into our understanding. So here, here's what I want to say to you. I've taught this before. Uh, I would say quite a few times, but, but not a ton. One of the things that I love about it is this, is that there's some of us who have been in church for most of our lives. We've been in church for many, many years, and we're kind of going on and it's a little bit humdrum. It's a little bit like, you know, it's kind of it's weak, you know, and we're, we're, we're Christian, yeah, but there's not a whole lot that defines us as Christian, whatever. And then this doctrine comes in and awakens us to a reality that we had not considered, perhaps, because we've never actually been taught this. Why? Because it's controversial and churches don't want to lose people. And so the whole idea is to have more people in those seats, isn't it? No, it's to create disciples. It's to create disciples who believe deeply in the scriptures. That is our goal here. And so my hope is that you are awakened to a new passion as you are clearly communicated with. My hope is that you're clearly communicated with today that you did not initiate your own salvation. It wasn't you. So if I were to ask you, how did you become a Christian? Many of us would begin with, well, I, uh, you know, I, I went to this church and the pastor gave a sermon and I raised my hand or I, I decided at this point, I went home, I thought about it, I prayed, I went to a camp, I went to, a, uh, you know, whatever it is that you, however you actually finally decide, okay, now I'm a Christian. <clears throat> 
The apostle doesn't begin there. The apostle, the apostle doesn't begin anywhere but with God before the foundations of the earth. And so he says that this God is to be praised. The Father is to be praised. Let, let me just start off with that. This isn't controversy. This is fodder for worship of the Father. <laughs> this, this, is, this is stuff that should cause us to worship him. So let's keep that in mind. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What else is it about? It's about worship. But it's also about in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He brings it up again in verse 11, a little bit further down, and he says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He says it three different times, in case we missed it the first time, for he chose us, then he says this word predestined, which means God predetermined what was going to happen with you that you, that you were going to decide for Christ, that you were going to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, that you were going to walk the aisle, raise your hand, all those things that God has predetermined this. This all has to do with the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty means God's absolute control over it means his rule. It means his reign over all things. It is his sovereignty. It is uh, it also uh, sovereignty, predestination, calling is another way that scripture puts it. Election or the elect as it refers to those who are saved. Providence, the word providence sometimes can refer to that. And then obviously chosen. Wayne Grudem says this. He wrote a theology book, which I'm sure you're so happy I'm reading out of right now. Uh, election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. I love that statement. We're also a part of a network called Acts 29. And the second doctrinal distinctive that we agree to as a church is this. It is lengthy, I'm, I'm, but I'm going to read it. It says, we enthusiastically embrace the sovereignty of God's grace in saving sinners. We affirm that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, not on the basis of foreseen faith, but unconditionally, according to his sovereign good pleasure and will. We believe that through the work of the Holy Spirit, God will draw the elect to faith in his Son. Our Lord Jesus Christ, graciously and effectually overcoming their stubborn resistance to the gospel so that they will most assuredly and willingly believe. We also believe that these, the elect of God, whom he gave to the Son, will persevere in belief and godly behavior and be kept secure in their salvation by grace through faith. 
We believe that God's sovereignty in this salvation neither diminishes the responsibility of people to believe in Christ, nor marginalizes the necessity and power of prayer and evangelism, but rather reinforces and establishes them as the ordained means by which God accomplishes his ordained ends. Okay, I know that was a mouthful, but it just kind of clearly states where we stand on this. Now, the question is, is this taught in the New Testament? Is it taught in the New Testament? Well, it's taught right here. And so you might say, well, Pastor Matt, are you just kind of cherry picking here or is it in the rest of scripture? And the, the truth is, it is. It is repeatedly in there. Romans 8, 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Verse 30 says, and those whom he predestined. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 13 through 14 says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by God, because God chose you. 1 Thessalonians uh, 4, 4 through 5. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Acts 13, verse uh, 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. That's the idea of election, being chosen. I mean, we could just go on. First Peter talks, First Peter 1, 1, talk to those who are elect. In Matthew uh, chapter 24, verse 20, uh, 22 says, but for the sake of the elect. In Mark, um, to lead astray if possible the elect. Uh, Mark 13, 27, gather his elect. And Luke 18, 7, and God will not, and will not God give justice to his elect? 2 Timothy 2, 10, therefore endure, I, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I mean, this, this is exhaustive, and it might, you might feel like it's exhausting, but it's, it, it is very important. What else do we have here? Um, I mean, we, could, we just go down the line. Last one, Revelation 13, 8 says, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Again, a reference to God's work before the foundations of the world through election. So does the New Testament teach us? The answer is absolutely. So if it is taught in the New Testament, what does that mean? Well, it can mean one of two things. There are one of two options. It either means that salvation is 100% God's doing, it's 100% God's effort, it's 100% God's will. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, that we are chosen by uh, God simply out of his own good pleasure, of his own will, apart from anything in us. Anything we've said or thought in spite of ourselves, we are enemies and rebels and God moved by nothing at all in us has decided to save us. So that's option one. Option two is this. It's my doing, it's my effort, it's my will. And, that, and what do I mean by that? That like the initial, like when this took place, I am the one that actuated that. I am the one that caused that to take place. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says that Christians were chosen by God before the foundations of the world because God, with his perfect knowledge, has looked into the future and saw what we would choose and therefore chose us to be saved. So God knew what I was gonna choose, and so he chose me. Let me ask you this. 
Is there anything in scripture that leads you to believe that at all? Like when you read your Bible and you say, you know what, God is kind of moving at the beat of my drum. Like God says, oh, you're gonna do that? Okay, I'll do this. Listen, that's prosperity gospel. That's prosperity that says, like, you, you give to God and God will give to you. Like, you, you give him a little, he'll give you a little. The problem with that understanding is this, is that I am fickle, that I am in and out of my faith, that, that I am not perfect. The, the problem is, is that I mean, with, without God's sovereignty, without his will in my life, without him doing something for me, like, I'm a mess. There's nothing in scripture that leads me to believe that God moves to the beat of my drum. There's everything in scripture that leads me to believe that God moves to the beat of his own drum. That he's the one who determines what's happening in my life and in my world. And my job is, is not necessarily to really understand God completely. Listen, if you can understand God completely, if you can understand all of his thoughts, then that, doesn't that make you God? Like just take Einstein, for example. Like if you could understand everything. Oh yeah, I see how he got there. Yeah, like yeah, yeah that makes sense. Then, okay, so you understand everything that Einstein's doing, so now you're, you're Einstein, you're that smart? I mean, we could just go down the line. We could talk about somebody who's a, a, an amazing musician. Oh yeah, I could sit there, yeah, Yo-Yo Ma. Like, I could sit there and like, Yo-Yo Ma plays me a little piece on, on the cello, and then I sit down and go, oh yeah, yeah, I got that. So I'm, I'm as good as Yo-Yo, Yo-Yo Ma, right? If I can understand everything that God does in totality, in perfection, then that makes me God. That's an issue. That's an issue. Let me go through a couple of questions here so that we can knock some things out of your mind early. Am I welcome at this church? What if I am struggling with or I don't believe in election slash predestination, being chosen, called, those types of things, the way that you do, Pastor Matt, the elders do, the, the way that Acts 29, our network does. What if I don't agree? Am I welcome at this church? You absolutely are welcome at this church because everyone is on a spectrum of understanding. Everyone is on a spectrum of understanding. Everyone is like somewhere, like, I'm, I'm kind of somewhere in here. None of us fully understand it. Now, some of us, some of us are kind of like, kind of here, but you know, but kind of not. And, and so we're, we're just kind of on this, this spectrum. I've seen more people cry over this doctrine than any other doctrine. Am I welcome at this church? You absolutely are. You still have a place here. I would expect nothing less because I think this is a lifelong, also heartless if you don't struggle with this doctrine. Either that or you're not really listening. So, uh, does my salvation depend on my belief in predestination? The answer is absolutely not. And so you might say, Pastor Matt, why would you even talk about this? Why would you discuss something 
that is not absolutely necessary for salvation? Well, the answer is this, is because the apostle Paul says, when he is glorifying God, when he's praising God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, this is the first thing, I don't know about you, but I start losing patience when we get to like the 10th the thing. Here's the 10th thing you need to know. But like the first thing that the apostle brings up, the very, the number one thing is even as he chose us, like it's the first thing he brings up. So why would we not? Well, there's, but our salvation does not depend on predestination. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we can be as certain that John Wesley, who was a big proponent of Arminianism, uh, he is an Arminian, he popularized the idea that uh, God moves according to our choices. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says we can be as certain that John Wesley is in heaven as that John Edwards and George Whitfield are there. Both Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield were amazing evangelists, but deep believers in the sovereignty of God in salvation. So does my salvation depend on, on my belief in predestination? No, it does not. What about those who are not saved? How can God hold someone accountable who is not believed when they are unable to do so? Like, what, what about people who are not saved? Like, what, what about People like, uh, let, let's say, um, you know, like we have a family member. Like this is where people have cried where they're like, but what if God hasn't chosen my family member? Well, first of all, you don't know the mind of God. You don't know if God has chosen that person or not. But let me just tell you this, like when you pray for someone, when you pray that they would get saved because like they're in, in, in just turmoil, they're in absolute turmoil. Their life is, is a mess. And you're just like, I just want them to come to Jesus. I just want them to, to come to him. The thing that you are hoping for, the thing that you are praying for, when you hit your knees, as you're, as you're saying, I would imagine, God, would you save my friend? Would you go against their free will? Would you cause them to love you? No one can pray, absolutely no one can pray without a firm belief in the sovereignty of God and salvation. One way or another, we want God to be absolutely in control. But what about those who are not saved? When you say, like, God chose some to be saved and he didn't choose others, isn't God, um, like, I mean, isn't that kind of mean? Romans 9, 19 through 21 says, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? The apostle Paul's answer is this, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of some uh, out of the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? It's like the Apostle Paul doesn't even answer the question. He's just like, who are you to question God? Let me, let me bring this back to our culture. There's many of us in this room that are appalled about what, what's happening in our world. There's some of you who are not, and we're so glad that you're here. But there's many in this room that are appalled by what's happening in this world. 
And, and our assertions a lot of times can be political, ideological. And you, you, basically what you're, what you're saying on some level is, that's not what I believe that God wants. That's not the way that it was created. That's not what's right. That's not what's good. And so you shouldn't go against God. Are you going against God? Are there things about God that are hard for you to understand, for you to receive? Like when you come to the word of God, does everything agree with your theology? Because I would wonder whether you're, you're not your own God, if that was the case. Because the true and the living God is one who brings things to us that says, I know you're not gonna like this, but this is the way that it is. Will you let me lead you? Will you let me heal you? by taking you out of your ideas as to how the world should operate and how salvation should operate and how life should operate by, by coming out of that realm and coming into the realm of the sovereignty of God and being able to, to say like, I, I am the clay. I am the potter. Or I'm sorry, he, I am the clay. He is the potter. He's the one who's molded me. Like, what right do I have? I don't even have a leg to stand on. Like, God's in charge. I'm not. Like, is God in charge of you? Like, are you being conformed to this world or are you being transformed by the renewing of your mind where you go, oh, I guess I am human. I guess I am faulty. I guess I am somebody who doesn't have it all together. I guess I don't always have the right ideas and God knows best. Like, are you that to the core? Because Paul says the first thing is that you would understand that he is the potter and that we are the clay and he gets to do whatever he wants with his creation. If most of us understood that and realized that, that would be that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Doesn't this eliminate the need for evangelism? If God chooses who will be saved, then why should I tell people about the gospel? Because God has already determined, you know, uh, who will be saved, so therefore... Why should I go and evangelize? Like there's no reason to have some type, so like a Billy Graham type crusade or some type of, you know, I shouldn't sit there and tell my coworkers about the love of Jesus Christ. Well, the answer to that is that God has also predetermined how they will come to faith in him. He's predetermined it before time began, but he's also predetermined that you would uh, sit next to this person on an, on an on a flight and you would begin to share the gospel with them. Or he's also determined that you might live a life of hospitality and love and people would begin to ask you, so I heard you go to church, like what's that, what's that about? What's that like? God has determined that as well. In fact, Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. 
What is, it, what is this saying? It's saying this, that God has determined how it would take place. I think it also speaks to something else. And that is that, like, what, what about somebody who's uh, mentally handicapped, who can't say the words, who can't even understand the gospel message, who can't receive that? Well, it seems like God has created a standard here, which is like, man, people are held responsible based on the fact that they hear the gospel and they don't believe it. But what about the people that can't hear the gospel, that can't believe it because of some incapacity, whether it's an unborn child or whether it is uh, a, a born child or whether it is somebody with a mental disability? How does God deal with that? God is the only one that can save. If, it is de- if our salvation is determinant upon us being able to say yes to Jesus, then how will those people be saved? Is God so brutal that he would not save them? Well, the answer is this, that God has predetermined this. And I do not believe that he holds those who cannot respond responsible for their choice based on that scripture. So why should you and I believe this doctrine? Why should you and I believe this? Well, the first thing is this, to experience the love of God in its fullness. To experience the love of God in its fullness. As I showed you uh, at the end of verse four, in the end of verse five, it says, in love, he predestined us. In love, like predestination, God's predetermined path for us, that is he chose me like it is in love. It is about the love of God. It's about him loving you. It's about him loving me. It's a source of worship, and it is something that we're we're to say, man, his love is amazing. In fact, later on in the letter, towards the end of the doctrinal section, right before uh, the section that tells us how to live, The Apostle Paul says in chapter 3, verse 16 of Ephesians, it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through, uh, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasseth knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen, that's the end of the doctrinal section. The beginning of the doctrinal section begins with, in love, he predestined us. And Paul is trying to tell you, and he's trying to tell me, like when you say, you know what, salvation was all of my choice, uh, it, it, it's, it's all of me, you're saved, you're in. It's, even though you're saying, I, I need to depend on Jesus, but I don't really believe that, but I just wanna tell you, this widens the depth, the breadth, the width, the height of the love of God, that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. See, predestination and election and calling and chosenness is not, it's not something to get angry about. It's something to revel in God's love for you. Like what was there about you that he, that he, that he wanted to love you? I don't know, because when I look at you, I'm not really sure 
you know, boom, roasted. Uh, what was it about you? What was it about me? I mean, and, and, and the thing is, the only thing there is to say is, I mean, you, you could say, well, here's why God loves me. It's because I, I was lovable enough to choose him. Man, I don't know about that. Because don't you get some, some of the glory? God says in Isaiah, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. I will not give my glory to another. Don't we take glory when we say, he loves me because I, I loved him first. Doesn't he say, you did not choose me, but I chose you? Isn't that what Jesus said? It is. But when you can say, man, why does he love me? I don't know. He just loves me. Why did he choose me? It's certainly not because of anything that I did. If anything, I, sh I should have been completely banished. I, sh I should have been sent to hell, but he just loves me. Ah. The first thing is, why should I believe this doctrine? It's to experience the love of God in its fullness <laughs> that, that surpasses knowledge. The second thing is, because without this doctrine, without this, the reality, not the doctrine itself, but without the reality of what God did, we would stubbornly refuse to come. In fact, in, in Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says, as it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There is no one who is righteous. There is no one who seeks for God. Like my, my understanding is completely fouled up. My seeker inside of me, my heart, does not want God in and of myself, that through the fall of Adam in the garden, all of us have become fallen. King David says, surely I was conceived in sin. I'm unable, I, I would stubbornly refuse to come. So when you say, I, oh yeah, I have free will. Well, you do have free will and your free will has led you to choose not God. You have freely chosen your right to choose, not God. Jesus says this to the Jewish people in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. He says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. It's like you could know the scriptures all day long, 
but you're not seeing the reality of it only comes through me, Jesus says. But there's this huge problem, and the huge problem is you refuse. You consistently refuse to come to Jesus for salvation. Like you've seen me, you've seen the works that I've done, you've, you've seen me walking around, you've seen the grace that I've had on people, and yet you've decided, not God. You decided that. That's, that's not just the bent, that is the message of the scriptures. I, in and of myself, refuse God. I continually refuse to come to him because there is no one righteous, there's not one, there's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks for God. So why would I believe this doctrine? Here's the third thing, to have the greatest sense of assurance. Because here's the thing, if I got myself in, if I chose God initially, then what follows is this, is that I can choose not God. See, some of you have been like in this place of like, I don't want to screw up too bad and it's basically like God has been holding a stick over you going, you better not screw up or you're out. And some people try to soften that blow with saying, no, we take ourselves out. It's not, God's, it's not God's fault. God doesn't punishment. We take ourselves out. No. Here's the thing. If, if I got myself in, then I can get myself out. What the scriptures say is something else. John 6, 34 through 39 says, some people say, sir, give us this bread because he just said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. It's me. I'm the one who gives life. He says, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I, but I said to you that you've seen me and yet you don't believe. See, you're seeing me and you don't believe me. See, it's not just, it's not just that you, you saw me. You saw me do miracles. You saw me do those things. And so why don't you believe? Like if Jesus was standing right here and he did, and he did something miraculous, like pulled a rabbit out of a hat or some crazy miracle of some sort, made Rob young again. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It'd be amazing. Like there still wouldn't be belief. He says, you've seen me, yet you don't believe. And he says this in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The Father is the one who gives those who are saved to the Son. Remember, we're talking in verse four through six of Ephesians chapter one. We're talking about the Father. This is what the Father does. That's what Paul says. That's also what Jesus says. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Like, the Father is the one who gave them to me, and then they're gonna come to me because the Father gave them to me. So it's going to happen. And everyone who comes to me I will never cast out because they didn't get themselves in. God is the one before the foundations of the earth who got them in. So what do you have? You have an amazing sense of assurance of your salvation because 
of God's sovereignty. And now you no longer have to worry about being beat or being tossed out, being thrown out. Is that a good marriage? No. A marriage is, I love you no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter what happens. And Jesus goes on and he says in verse 38 of John chapter six, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will. This is God's will. And this is, is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Man, if that ain't clear, it comes from Jesus' own mouth. Then he says, the reason why you went to that camp, the reason why you walked in here one day and you were like, okay, I want to follow Jesus. Like Kevin Mangles, who did the, the intro this morning. That's pretty cool. He walked in here, wasn't saved. He walked out saved. Why? Because God predetermined that. And he received Jesus. And that will never be lost. It will be raised up on that last day. The reason why you raised your hand, the reason why you walked the aisle, the reason why you made a, a quiet conversation with God, the reason why you gave your life to Christ is because you were given to the Son by the Father. And the Son has, a, has effectively saved you through his death on the cross. And when you believed that Jesus' death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection is sufficient to save you from your sins, you were in. But that was God's determination. And so salvation from first to last is all of God. You did not save yourself. I love you. I care about you. We can disagree on this and do it in a loving way. But let me just tell you, you are missing the greatest sense of assurance that you could possibly have. And so maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, Okay, how do I even come to him? I mean, how do I know if I'm chosen? Like, I, I feel that sense of, of shame and guilt. I feel that sense of, like, I, I don't have what it takes. I feel that sense of, I need someone to save me, but how do I know if he saved me? How do I know if I'm elect? How do I know if I'm predestined? Men and women, There is no one righteous. There's not even one, not you and not me, in and of ourselves. There's no one who seeks for God in and of ourselves. Why are you seeking for God today? I'm gonna tell you this. You're seeking for God today, if that's you, because he has called you. You cannot seek for God otherwise. He has called you. Give your life to Jesus Christ because he already loves you. He already loves you. 
What if you're sitting here today and you've, you say, I gave my life to Christ a long time ago, but how do I know if I'm elect? How do I know if I'm one of his chosen ones? Because I don't feel like a chosen one because I keep screwing up and I keep screwing up and I keep screwing up. Listen, if you weren't chosen, you wouldn't be worried about that. You can't worry about it unless God has called you. If you're not worried about it, that's another problem, right? But are you worried? Oh, that's, the worry is actually the greatest sense of assurance that you could have. People who aren't Christians, who aren't called, don't worry about being called. Because there is no one righteous. There's not even one. There's no one who seeks for God. There's no one who wants him. Unless he wants you. So take solace in that fact. Can I pray for us?